0: Some of the truths of scripture are often met with, um, you know, some tension. And so it's a, it's a difficult place to minister. But that's what makes it worthwhile. That makes it, that's what challenges you to, to think as the minority group, you know, to think as the smaller, you know, think as the, 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 the least of these. And to, to say how is God and how is Christ going to penetrate in this very unique environment. So, so all these things uh, kind of make it a great place to do ministry. So you guys know in some cities, there, your, your office building could be majority Christian. It's not the case in San Francisco. It's not the case in the Bay Area. And so you have a very, very ripe evangelism field uh, wherever you are, whether it's at school or at work uh, even your neighborhood. And that, that my friends, is actually, that puts you in the right place. It puts you in a good place because you have to rely on God. When you have the majority behind you, if you're, you know, if you're going to play basketball and you got Curry and you got LeBron behind you, you go, yeah, you guys want to play? I mean, I feel pretty confident, right? But if, you, if you're out there and you're playing against, you know, bigger people and you got nobody except, you know, maybe some Filipinos then you just say, whoa, man, we really need faith, right? That's, <laughs> my son just joined a league in San Jose because his roommate's Filipino. And my son isn't that tall. He's just a little taller than me. He's 5'8", and he's playing center. <laughs> so my wife and I were just laughing at that because he was like, I'm the tallest one on my team. And I go, wow, that's great. So I'm excited. <laughs> we need more Filipino leagues. Um, but, um, having, having said all that, uh, kind of as an intro to who I am, uh, I kind of want to share a couple of things, um, over these next couple of sessions. We'll speak again tomorrow and then again on Sunday. And Sunday, what I really want to do by the time we leave is really have, um, you as a church have a real deep understanding of how to tap into this reliance on God, um, these, these first two sessions, really, I just want to bring to light how easy it is for us to not rely on God, and then once you realize we do this so often, then we can know how to fight for that 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 heart of God. And we'll talk about the heart of God more specifically on Sunday. But today, I want to the the verse that I chose, um, kind of leading up to this, uh, was from Jeremiah. Um, you guys know Jeremiah was just an incredible prophet, but he he ministered for forty years to a people who didn't really want to listen to him and that didn't listen to him. So it was a very very difficult ministry. And oftentimes, when you're in those circumstances, reliance on God becomes very very important. If everybody's behind you, then it's it's almost uh, easy to rely on yourself. And I'm gonna I'm gonna show that later. Uh, with, a, with another passage. But turn with me first to Jeremiah chapter 17. In Jeremiah chapter 17, um, starting in verse 5, it says this. This is, this is kind of like the, the, um, the summary of this idea of relying on man versus what happens when you rely on God. So in verse 5 it says this. This is what the Lord says. Curse is the one who trusts in man. Who depends on flesh for his strength, and whose heart turns away from the Lord? He will be like a, a, a he will be like a bush in the wasteland. He will he will not see prosperity when it comes. He will d- dwell in the parched places of the desert. I mean, the desert's already parched. You're going to be in the worst part of the desert, the driest, in the salt land where no one lives. But listen to this. But blesses the man who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in Him. He will be like a tree planted by the water, that sends out its roots to the stream. It does not fear when the heat comes; its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought, and never fails to bear fruit. I mean, it—you know—it's very poetic language, you know. And so you read. Also, that's beautiful. That's. But there's, there's something very deep in that, is that when we run after things that our, our human heart desires, it may seem good when we begin that journey, but oftentimes it leads into chaos and difficulty. And when he talks about reliance on God, he's saying exactly the opposite. You know, there may be a drought, but you're firmly rooted and you're near the stream. You don't fear those things there's no anxiety, uh, Tim Keller says this. He says that um, when you rely on something or something that you put your heart into, that you rank higher than God, the problem is when that thing dies or when that event ends, it puts you into a tailspin, and you know and so that 's why for believers, there has to be God. Ultimately, at the root of who we are, um, and if it's not we we don't even realize it. We start really just becoming this this thing that relies on our own human power and instinct, and it becomes autopilot and before long, we don't realize we're in this desert we've gone too far because we 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 fish so long didn't tap into the source i don't know if you guys follow uh, the news too much um, about, uh, well, actually about my brother, because this last week has been a little chaotic, actually last the week before too. Um, we've, you know, my brother did a conference uh, a couple of weeks ago. He went to the SEND conference. Anybody heard about that, the SEND conference? And so uh, I was in Florida and it was, you know, it was an awesome conference. It was a conference about getting people to all the countries that still haven't heard about the gospel. It's sending people. It's, it's about multiple denominations, organizations, sending people. Um, the weird thing is that even that, even though that conference had that as its, its goal and its purpose, um, its speaker list was very, very diversified. And, um, a couple of the, the preachers that uh, Francis shared the stage with really, um, I don't know, they just, they, they're they kind of associated with some other things, you know. Um, I don't know if you guys know who Todd White is. Uh, I don't know if you guys know uh, Benny Hinn. You know, so, so there's these weird things where all these articles started coming out uh, uh, against Francis. It was a really weird time. So let me tell you something about Francis is that, ever since Francis started ministry, um, we have been, uh, we've been closer. I guess we're brothers. So we're close. But, um, when we were growing up, we were very competitive. And so there wasn't, but as he began to do ministry, obviously, uh, I really looked to him, um, you know, in, in that, in that way as, as really being a visionary leader. Um, but, He's a very, very sacrificial dude. I mean, he really is. And he challenges our whole family to be that way too. And it's, and it's, it's, it's quite remarkable. Well, some of these news articles that have been going out, and they're in Christian uh, literature, cr- Christian magazines, um, really condemned him. One of them called him a charlatan uh, or, or hanging out with charlatans and things like that. It's because some of the people that were at this conference um, – you know quote unquote uh did some some healing type stuff or prosperity gospel type things some things but um you know that's not <laughs> it, it's so funny how people associate you if you're just somewhere where someone else is and so francis prayed with todd white and so there was this picture circulating of them like their they're best buddies, but he, you know, he barely knows them, you know. And then he told me that as he was leaving, uh, some guy wanted to take a picture. So Francis says, sure, sure. And right before the picture came, Benny Hinn ran up, and so he wanted to be in the picture also. So there's this picture circulating with him and this other guy. And he goes, Man, what am I going to say? No, when somebody wants to take a picture, you know. And so, oh, it's just so funny how how negative the thoughts were that we're kind of coming across these things. And um, I, I, guess, I guess that's been my burden for the last couple of weeks. And um, so as we kind of talk about this reliance on God, I was actually thinking a lot about um, kind of defending yourself uh, because of that. I, you know, there's um, – you remember that passage in – oh, don't get this wrong, Paul – in Luke 7 – where uh where John the baptist is is questioning if if Jesus is the one or should they expect another it's a weird passage super weird passage right okay I, if you guys don't remember that John the Baptist has been arrested and he's been thrown in jail because he's bold, you know the guy was just condemning everybody you know he didn't care about anything, and, you know even when people came out to be baptized him, and he goes, he saw their heart he says. Who told you to come to escape the wrath? to come, right? I mean, he was, he was hard on people. He was a tough guy. He said, well, I don't need your clothes. I'm going to wear camel skin. You know, I, I don't need your food. I'm going to eat bugs. I mean, he just didn't care about anybody, but he's thrown in prison. And when he's thrown in prison, we see um, a real human side to John the Baptist because obviously John the Baptist knew who Jesus was. Okay, so don't ever get that. Don't ever worry about that question as it being like he really didn't know who Jesus was. He knew who Jesus was. He was his relative. In fact, when Jesus came to be baptized, what did John the Baptist say? He says, oh, no. He was, I was there, I'm here to baptize sinners, and I don't need to baptize you. He knew who Jesus was. And so now, a couple of chapters later, he's thrown in prison. And in Luke chapter 7, he says uh, to his disciples, go ask Jesus if he's the one or should we expect another? Really weird passage, right? Because it doesn't sound like John. And so if you just read it and you just jump to that space, you just think, oh, oh, he didn't know who Jesus was or he didn't really think Jesus was the Messiah. But that's not the case. Listen, John the Baptist was feeling sorry for himself. He was now in prison. And which is weird to me Because to me, John the Baptist lived a radical life anyway. He was kind of like, he didn't care for creature comforts, right? He was just out there. And now he's in prison, and all of a sudden, now you care about your life, right? And so he's sitting there. I don't know what it was. Maybe he's tired of eating normal food, you know? And he said, I miss them bugs, you know? (laughs) Uh, I had a... Oh, I remember last Thanksgiving, I had a locust that was six inches long. You know, and uh, so, so he, he might have just been feeling unhappy with his, his scenario. And so he says this to his disciples, man, I thought Jesus was going to come. He was going to do some, some awesome miracles. And then he was going to overturn the Roman government and usher in this new kingdom. I really thought that was happening. And now I'm sitting here in this prison and I'm tired of waiting. He was willing to die for the gospel, John was. That's why he condemned religious leaders. He was willing to die. So now he's in the prison almost dying, and now he's feeling sorry for himself. And so now he's hoping, he says, well, I've done my job. I made straight the way of the Lord. Now you're supposed to be doing something. And so he's he's like asking Jesus, hey, are you the one? Actually, what he's saying to Jesus is, when's this going to happen, man? I want to get out and I want to be in the front lines again. I want to get back out there and I want to preach repentance. I want to get out there and point people to you. What's going on? Am I supposed to just just wallow here in prison in this filth, in this stench? And Jesus doesn't defend himself. He tells John's disciples, Jesus is healing people. He's caring for people. He's feeding people. He's loving people. He's uh, having people who their entire life were not able to see, be able to see. He's people their entire life couldn't hear. And Jesus gave them their hearing. People who couldn't walk their entire life, Jesus let them walk. And he did these things. And in a In my opinion, with with a tear in his eye, he turns to John's disciples and he says, just just tell them what you see. Just tell them what we're doing here. And then right after that, he goes into this beautiful speech and he goes, man, there's nobody better on earth than John. Nobody born of a woman who is better than John. And even the least... Would be better than John. Do you understand? He was—he loved John so much. And then there's some frustration in his voice. He goes, "You know, um, you know, we sang a, a merry song and you didn't sing along. We 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 sang a sad song and you didn't cry." He goes, "Man, John came and he he didn't come eating or drinking, and you called him a demon." <laughs> So I come and I'm, I'm eating, hanging out with tax gatherers and you call me a glutton, you know? And he's saying, man, I can't please anybody. And then he says something awesome at the very end of chapter seven. He says, um, but wisdom is justified by her children. Do you, do you guys remember that? I hope I'm quoting that right. Maybe I better check. What is it? What is it? Oh, so well, wisdom is, um, is proven right by all Right, yeah. So do you understand what it is? It's a weird thing to say too. So I'm just throwing you all a bunch of weird stuff today. But, because it's kind of a little bit of a puzzle. He says, he, what, what, what he's saying is that you don't have to defend yourself. If, you, if you're trusting in God, you're doing the right things. The fruits of what you do, your children, the fruits of who you are, will validate you. You know, so, so, so you don't have to fight for your reputation. You just do what God asks you to do. And those that are your fruit, those that have, have reaped the benefit of your ministry or your, um, I mean, company, they're the ones that vindicate. They're the ones that know who you are. Don't, don't worry. He's, he, he was expressing something that just happens in this world. When people rely on people, when people rely on themselves, it becomes a, a one-upsmanship kind of world where where everybody's trying to outdo everybody else, where everybody is trying to put down someone else so that they themselves, you know, look a little bit better. And you know what, what that passage is telling me is just it says you don't, don't need to defend yourself. If you're focused on doing what God wants you to do, I mean, the outcome is always going to come out right. You know, the, and, and the blessings will pass on to those who are infected by your ministry. So I, w- I want to turn to something else. I, I know, I know we, were, we started late, so I'm going to go a little longer. Um, but I uh, hope that's okay. But um, turn with me to First um, Samuel. I think if we talk about living through our human self opposed to living through God, there's no better example in the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, than King Saul. Okay? And I just want you to, to make note of a couple of things about King Saul. King Saul was a good king early on. Now, remember, he came in a time where Israel did not have kings. All they had was judges because God wanted to be their king. So I said, I'll just put judges there just to kind of figure out who's going to pay the traffic ticket, right? But I want to be your king. That's what God says. But the people wanted to be like all the other nations, so they wanted a king. God didn't want them to have a king. But God still anointed Saul because it was the type of king the people wanted. He was he was cool, you know. They said he was handsome And a head taller than everyone else. That means you're standing in the crowd and there's this Tom Brady right there in the middle of it. And you go, wow, he's a stud, right? So Saul was this guy, handsome, tall, you know, he was, he won battles early on, right? He was, he was anointed. Samuel anointed him as king. He was truly king. But it wasn't the king that God would have chose. It was the king that the people wanted. So God relented and gave that to them. So what is the demise of King Saul? The demise of King Saul is because he craved craved how people looked at him. When he won battles, he loved it when people thought well of him. You know, when he got really jealous is when people started praising who? David, right? David got all the cool songs. And Saul said, wait, you, you said he's, he'd got 10,000 and I only had 1,000? That's messed up, right? And so Saul said, but I'm a head taller than him, you know? I'm actually two head taller than David. And so, so, so Saul is starting to feel kind of, you know, he's losing appraisal from men, he, from people. He's losing respect from people and it kills him. And this is what destroys Saul. If you think about it, um, Saul was killing the Philistines. He was doing what God wanted. And there's this strange thing that happens when God asks him in chapter 15 of 1 Samuel to to eliminate um, the Malachites. The Malachites were a thorn in the side of Israel. They made fun of Israel, you know, when they were leaving Egypt. And so God wanted them eliminated. He says, man, they are, they are sin to God's people. I don't want you just to scoot them out. I don't want you just to arrest them. I need you to kill sin. I need you to completely annihilate them. I don't want you to keep anything. And so that that story happens uh, in chapter 15 of 1 Samuel. So like... Um, let me see where I want to go down to. Uh, so, so go down to verse seven. First uh, Samuel chapter fifteen, verse seven. I want you to see what Saul does. Then Saul attacked the Malachites all the way from Havilah to Shur, to the east of Egypt. He took Agag, king of the Malachites, alive, and all the people he totally destroyed with a sword. But Saul and the army spared Agag, and listen to this, and the best of the sheep and cattle um, and the fat calves, the lambs, everything that was good. Okay, so it wasn't just a few things. He took the best. These, they were not willing to destroy completely, but everything that they despised and the weak, they totally destroyed. Okay, so God says, go get rid of everything and trust me to provide what you need. Saul's been winning battles and so far he's been doing good. But God was adamant about this thing. I want you to destroy these people. So Saul goes and the first thing he does wrong is that he doesn't kill the king. He captures him. Why, why would you capture a king? Why not kill him? Why do you, why do you want him? Because he was a trophy. Because he can bring him back in a cage. And he could show the people. And he could show his army what he was able to do. And he kept those things also. And he kept those things that were treasures. He didn't need those things. God had blessed Israel. Saul was blessed by God. The nation was blessed. But he brings this stuff back. Because he wanted to please People, Watch this. Verse 10. Then the word of the Lord came to Samuel. I am grieved that I have made Saul king because he has turned away from me and has not carried out my instruction. Samuel was troubled and cried out to the Lord all night. Early in the, mor- uh, early in the morning, Samuel got up and went to meet Saul. But he was told, Saul has gone to Carmel. Uh, there he set up a monument in his own honor. <laughs> he set up his own statue. Oh, I did a good job at this war. I'm going to make a statue of myself right here. Uh, and has turned and has gone down to Gilgal. Then Samuel reached out. Uh, when Samuel reach, reached him, Saul said, The Lord bless you. I have carried out the Lord's instruction. It's as if, as if Samuel didn't talk to God or something. He goes, Oh, I don't know if you've heard, but... I did what God told me to do. But Samuel said, what then is this bleeding of sheep in my ears? What then is this lowing of cattle that I hear? <laughs> you know, I, I, I'm, I doubt that those animals are right there where he actually heard it. But I think he's trying to make a point. It's almost sarcastic. He says, oh, wait a second. I, I hear sheep and cows. You, wait a second. You killed everybody? And you destroyed everything? But how come I hear sheep and I hear cows? It's all answered. The soldiers brought them from the Malachites. Did they bring those back? <laughs> I told them not to. They brought the, oh, you. He's blaming someone else. He's blaming his soldiers. He's the king. And he goes, oh, Samuel, my man. <laughs> Gosh, I, I thought I taught him better. And uh, he just wants to blame someone else. Saul says, the soldiers brought these back, uh, brought them from the Malachites. They spared the best sheep and the cattle to sacrifice to the Lord your God. Uh, But we totally destroyed the rest, you know. And he's he's just, he's he's so funny that, you know, it reminds me of, you know, when Gehazi, uh, we will talk about this tomorrow, but when Gehazi, you know, hit the stuff. He he took the the stuff from from Naaman, and he tried to pretend like what I I didn't do anything, you know. <laughs> and he says I, and then he goes back to the prophet. He says I saw you, you know. And and we we forget these are men of God that God speaks to, and they forget anyway. Samuel says stop. He says he can't stand it anymore. He can't stand lies anymore. He just says stops. Samuel said to Saul. Let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. Tell me, Saul replied. Samuel said, although you were once small in your own eyes, did you not become the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel, and he sent you on a mission saying, go and completely destroy those wicked people, the Malachites. Make war on them until you have wiped them out. Why did you not obey the Lord? Why did you pounce on the plunder? and do evil in the eyes of the Lord. But, but I did obey the Lord, Saul said, still making excuses. I, I went on the mission the Lord assigned me to. I completely destroyed the Amalekites, uh, and, I, and I, I brought back the king. Uh, and the soldiers, they took the sheep and the cattle from the plunder, the best, obviously the best to devote to God, uh, in order to sacrifice them to the Lord, your God at Gilgal. And Samuel replied, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as obeying the voice of the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice. And to heed better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of divination. And arrogance like the evil of idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. Man, that is so hard to read. So hard to hear because somebody so close, so anointed by God, because he makes a decision to look good in the eyes of man, he gives up the kingship of God's people. Do you understand the decision he made? He was a blessed nation. God blessed him in all his battles against the Philistines. And because he wanted to appear good before his people, he sacrificed his own kingship. God took it away and he, he begins this journey of moving David into the throne. It's, it's a horrible thing. And what's the worst part of it is that the worst part of it is that Saul couldn't see it coming. Why? Why was it he, he couldn't see what was happening? Why, why, why he, he wanted a statue of himself Later on, you know, Saul goes and he seeks out the witch at Endor. He, he does all these things to try to, to, to invoke God, to, to help him. And it all ends in his demise. It, 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 was, it was a tumbling. But the tumbling starts when you desire how people see you. The tumbling starts when you desire the praise of man. You desire the praise of those you lead and you, de- you desire the praise of those, you conquer. You, you want to carry trophies around of what you've been able to do. You know, you want your men to be the ones that, that praise you, that sing songs about you. But in the end, it becomes barren wasteland. In the end, it's that far-off salty place in the desert that nothing grows, because all this is temporary. Temporary. And the results of selfishness and arrogance will lead to ultimate poverty of your spirit. You know, and so, so this lesson that, that you learn in this is that you don't even see it coming. Um, you may want to, to honor God with your life and have this balance. But even honoring God from time to time, people start thinking well of you, even in ministry, Listen, we 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 are not exempt. In ministry, we have to be careful that we start liking what people say about us. We start liking uh you know the praise of how we're doing. We're called to be servants. If if I'm up here seeking your approval, I'm not honoring God. If I preach a message that tickles your ears and you praise me for it, I I'm not honoring God. If I sense that the truth of his word is to condemn you for an attitude or a way you're acting, I'm called to speak that out and not receive praise. I mean, obviously that's not what I'm here to do, but those are motives that if you're not careful, they'd be, they're underlying in everything you do. Challenge yourselves at school, at work, wherever Wherever you have community among your neighbors, are you more concerned about how they think of you, um, how you appear to them, or are you trusting the word of God as it speaks into you? And uh, that's it's, it's a much tougher challenge. We live in a generation, you know, can you, can you think about this? 40 years ago, Whatever you were to learn about Scripture, for the most part, you learned from a teacher or a pastor. For the most part, there wasn't a lot of other information available. Obviously, you could go to another church, or you could go to school, or you can go to you know seminary to learn more. But what you knew of God was often taught to you through a pastor or church, and that view of God was in some ways whatever their view of God was okay follow me on this that what what we grew up with what I grew up in church is what my pastors believed they passed that on to me we live in a generation for the first time the first generation where you can reach out and gather any information you want on any religion or any teaching it's incredible how much resources is out there today. And this is a beautiful time in the kingdom of God. Because if we are alone with his word, we have the ability to see what God wants to teach us through this. You, You understand what I'm trying to say? Francis says this thing. He says the Bible should be simple enough that if you sat in an island and you read it, you would understand what God wants you to do. Right? That's 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 the way the Bible is. It doesn't require all that other stuff. It should have the simple truth in it. But having those resources also allows you to to dig in deeper and discover what different people so so we're no longer I guess my point is that we we in this generation have the fullness of scripture available to us like never before. It, it's not a spoon-fed gospel to us it's our gospel it's it's for us to absorb to read and fully understand even if you can't read it can be read to you right in any language it can be read to you the 1040 window is closing It, it, it really is and so the idea is that this is the generation that the word can be most useful and most powerful we are also in a generation that we are most distracted it is it is very difficult to focus and so you take the good and the bad. And my point is that don't look at where we are necessarily. It's just negative. We are more distracted. It's harder to focus on God. It's hard to listen and be reliant on God. But we also can be exactly the opposite. We're in a generation where we can use the tools that be given, be given to us and to go all the way to the other extreme and fully engulf ourselves in the word of God because the teaching is also available. You see what I'm saying? There, 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 it, it, don't look at it as negative. Look at it as a positive, and that's the challenge that I want you to have this weekend. Is that let the Bible come alive. Let it speak to you. Read the Bible. We've been, uh, you know, we've been working on this read Scripture project, and it's about reading through the Bible every single year and to follow along with other people. There's great apps, uh, you know, uh, on the on the U version. That you can just kind of follow and it's so awesome. Man, it's just, we, you can read and comment with each other and it's, it's a lot of fun, right? I, I just think that the word nowadays can really come alive and you can really utilize it every single day of your walk. The reliance on God is probably easier now. I shouldn't say easier. That's a weird thing to say. It's just, it's, it's, just, it's, it's very available to us. And that's the challenge: is that we would use this energy, this this technology, this this age we live in, and use it for the good of God, to channel closer to God, not to be more distracted, because that's kind of kind of the natural thing that we we start doing. Um, yeah, it's it's tough, but uh, that's that's what we have before us. So it's. It's it's not it's not going to be a retreat where I'm going to just tell you how terrible things are. It's also a time where you could really embrace this. So I, I want you to be challenged by that, by the opportunity. So I think that's what I'm going to start with tonight. I want you guys to just rest with that, and we'll kind of pick up on this tomorrow and uh, and talk a little bit about um, God's provisional plans in Scripture. We're going to talk about manna, a very interesting thing in Scripture. So we're going to, manna is a great, it, it's more than what it appears to be in scripture. It's, 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 it's total reliance on God, right? And if we can understand manna, uh, we get a better picture of God's intent for us. So let me close this time in prayer. Heavenly Father, I just thank you again for this evening. And, uh, <clears throat> It seems weird to just always just close in prayer and then go do all other things, Lord. But uh, we just don't want to stop worshiping you. We don't want to stop thinking about you, Lord. Lord, I just wish every moment of every day we were just consumed by thoughts of you. We were just consumed by how you're working through us, Lord. Lord, wouldn't it be glorious if we didn't if we didn't have to focus on schedules for efficiency's sake, Lord? Wouldn't it be awesome if we could just praise you and praise you and praise you? Just sing and have our hearts just warmed by words that give you adoration. By thoughts that are just uplifting your character that speak of your attributes. Lord, there's there's nothing more beautiful in this world that we would have this relationship with our creator God. That that you died so that we would have the very spirit that was lost in the garden. Lord, I, I can't. I guess can't thank you enough for the things you've done to bring us awareness to you as creator and yet we are just running around constantly chasing other things when the world forces us to be distracted and kind of like Saul we just give in and we make excuses Lord I, I have no excuse when I'm not spending time with you I have no excuse when I'm not In prayer, in your word, Lord, singing hymns to you, Lord, I have no excuse. Lord, I want to sit at the foot of the cross. I want to sit at the foot of your Bible and your reading, Lord, and learn your heart. Learn the way you think, Lord, to, to be your arms and feet, Lord. Forgive us because our distractions keep us from being the kind of influence you want your church to be. You've given ultimate power to your church to change this world through you, our head, that we would change this world. And sadly, we're we're not as effective as we'd like to be, Lord. But uh, could it be that we're not relying on you to the degree that we ought to? Lord, would you bless us this weekend as we learn to refocus, as we learn to recommit ourselves to complete reliance on you. Help us to trust your words in Scripture as you guide us and teach us. Thank you again, and uh, we just praise you and and just want to worship you all night. We thank you in Christ's name.